Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. This ended up becoming a two-part episode, because when I initially started recording, I spoke for an hour and a half. So obviously I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. And just to preface the beginning of the first episode with sort of what I end with in the second episode, I am an anti-capitalist and am very big on community resources and direct giving. And also I recognize that we live in a world where more marginalized people having access to resources is one way we might experience change. I don't think that legislative answers are enough right now. And that's especially on my mind with recent events in the news about the school shooting in Texas and how we just don't have even basic supports for protecting the most vulnerable. We know this, and yet every time there's a new event, a new tragedy, it really feels like there are such a small percentage of people whose voices are actually mattering and one of the ways that those voices are mattering is directly through money. And I'm personally not trying to reach the point of money where I have a major political impact because that to me very likely requires a level of exploitation that I'm just not interested in. But I just wanted to briefly preface why money is an important topic for me and why I want to do what I can to help my communities because I have been very, very poor and it just increases the trauma. It just makes everything harder and it makes it really hard to heal. So I'm going to jump in. Thanks for being here. The topic today is how trauma blocks money. Basically, trauma can block creativity and divergent thinking. So the ideas that may help us start a business, maintain our business, or even just do a good job at our job. So all of that creative thinking that might help grow a career can be lower because of trauma. And we'll get into that in a moment. Another thing that trauma can do is make it difficult to take action. PTSD has a lot of overlap with ADHD. So even if you don't developmentally have ADHD, you can have ADHD-like symptoms from PTSD and complex PTSD. And then the last place that I see trauma showing up blocking money is having trouble receiving. This was huge for me. All the three of these were huge for me, but this one in particular, I, from such a young age, was so used to taking care of myself, being completely on my own emotionally and on my own financially from my mid-teens, and I had been taken advantage of financially in relationships as an adult. I had a lot of issues around receiving, even from people close to me who I generally trusted. So today I'm going to be diving into each of those a little bit more and talking about some ways that you can change your brain state in order to have more access to ideas, more access to action, and more access to receiving. And yes, I do want to acknowledge from the outset that for most people, trauma healing is a years-long process. It can be a lifelong process. So rather than thinking about this in a binary yes or no, you know, healed or unhealed way, 
I really think it's useful to think about this as a journey, whatever that looks like for you. And that any improvement, even a 1% improvement added up over time really starts to build up. And then the other sort of encouraging thing I have to say on this topic, I know I've mentioned this a couple times, is that when I got my official autism diagnosis, the other thing I learned in that appointment is that I no longer meet the diagnostic criteria for PTSD, which is honestly incredible given how much has happened to me in my life. I didn't know that that was possible. I didn't know that it was happening. It just so happened that I found amazing practitioners and I just kept applying the methods I was learning and especially somatic methods. And I do hope to have Linda Tai on the podcast at some point. She was one of my main teachers and she was just incredibly helpful in this process. But even though I don't technically have the PTSD diagnosis anymore, I still have the after effects of various traumas and things I didn't have as a child in particular. And that's something that I'm still processing is I feel like I dealt with a lot of the things that happened that should not have happened. So the direct abuse and some of the things that are still coming up for me are more the things that should have happened that didn't happen. So some elements of neglect, but also just the emotional support that I did not have, the modeling of healthy boundaries and healthy relationships that I did not have. And while I think in certain ways my parents did the best they could with the poverty that we experienced, part of what I didn't have was a healthy view of money and of receiving. So to jump into this first topic, ideas, creativity. If you're a creative person, and I do believe personally that everyone is creative. You may not consider yourself artistic in terms of making art or having a drive to do music or art or dance or any traditional art making form. But I would argue that if you enjoy participating in social media, if you create social media, you have a creative brain. I really think most people do. But whether or not you choose to identify with that, ultimately ideas are creative. And while obviously I am an entrepreneur and have my own business, this also totally applies when you have a traditional job or if you're working part-time as I have on and off for most of the last 15 years since I finished undergrad. Basically, if you're someone that has good ideas, it's easier to make money. And we'll get into the action side of that next. But certainly in a lot of contexts, if you have great ideas and you're enacting them yourself or you're offering them to someone else. I mean, basically that's what consulting is, is having ideas and giving them to other people. And on the broader scale, I think ideas are also about what we think is possible and what exists in the world. So for example, if you have multiple skills and multiple interests and you look at all of them as a whole and you think there's not really a job that incorporates all of these things, It's that creative idea side of your brain that can come up with a solution to that, that can say, oh, actually, I know where I can look or who I can talk to, or here is a creative idea I have of how all of these things could come together. And then you go out and you're maybe able to either find an existing job like that or create one or 
apply for something and end up turning it into something that uses all of those skills. I can tell you from my experience that when my PTSD and my depression and my anxiety were all really bad, I did not have access to any of that type of thinking. All I was thinking was solve the short-term problem because that's what nervous system activation does when we're in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, feign, death, any of those. We're just trying to solve the immediate problem. And I was not asking myself, how can I use all of my skills and talents and what's possible for me? I was just saying, how can I possibly get a job, any job that they will accept me for? And I remember applying for coffee shop jobs, which I was obviously not suited for because I sometimes experience being nonverbal and that's, it's just not good for me to be in that situation in a high stress setting. That would have been terrible. So I did not get those jobs when I applied for them. And I remember just laying there in my early twenties, having a lot of skills, having a lot of talents and just feeling like I had no options or that all of my options were bad because my understanding of how jobs worked was you had to start with something entry level. And my degree that I had at that time was music composition. And I just didn't feel like I had any of the requisite skills and required things to apply for a job that would pay well. And since then, I've actually worked in recruitment and I know that that's just absolute bullshit. I totally could have gotten a good paying job at any time in there if I had known what they were and how to apply and how to present myself and how to interview. I just didn't have any of those skills and I didn't even know what to look for or who to ask. And that is exactly what trauma does in the brain when we're in this just deal with emergencies kind of mode is it's hard to even formulate useful questions or useful veins of research or figuring things out. I just had such low capacity for solving big problems because that's not what my brain was doing at that time. The other thing that creative thinking requires is rest and space and boredom. And this is especially interesting for me because boredom was something I was specifically terrified of as part of my own trauma response. And this is an area where everyone's different. Some people feel more safe in rest. I felt more safe in action at the upper end of the window of tolerance. If you know that polyvagal theory that basically up toward the top of that, where you're starting to get into nervous system activation. So fight, flight, freeze, fawn, just below that, technically your nervous system is still okay, but it's activated. That was the only place where I felt safe. Once I started to get down into the rest side of things on the low end where energy is low, just above the feign death response, which is a low vagal response, low dorsal energy, I felt so unsafe there. And not to say that that's what boredom is necessarily, but to me, boredom felt too much like that and I did not want it. Just like for some people who only feel safe in that lower energy, excitement might feel unsafe to them because it's too high, even though for most people, excitement usually feels good for people who have that trauma response and it are triggered by that high end of energy, excitement can be really difficult. So even though rest and boredom are a really important part of the creative process, our brain needs time to 
sort of churn through things and process what it's been taking in before it puts it back out. The way that looked for me for a long time was I wasn't so much actively creating that space. I was just waiting until I had a deadline and then doing everything right before the deadline, which by the way, does not make one's best art, turns out, most of the time. And I have both good and bad news about developing the kind of safety that allows your brain to be creative. The good news is it's absolutely possible and it's definitely doable in baby steps, which is great. The bad news, depending on where you are in this process, is even for me with pretty active work on this for quite a long time, I would say with the current methods that I use, the somatic stuff that really ended up working for me, helping me get that embodied sense of safety, it took about two years, maybe a year and a half. Now in that time, I was still able to have some ideas, have some creativity, do creative work. It's not, again, it's not a binary, it's not all or nothing, but now I have the ability to actually schedule creative time and do the things that help my brain get into creative flow pretty consistently. And I know how to do that. And for the most part, trauma responses are very rarely getting in the way of that. So that's just a level of control or maybe mastery over that type of functioning in my brain that did really take quite a while to develop in this way. And I've been a professional creative for 15 years. So I also have that background of being used to working with the creative process. So how can you create this sense of safety that allows creativity and ideas to come out of it? First, I would actually just ask yourself that question. When you feel like ideas come to you, when do you feel safe? For some people, it's in the shower or if they're waking up and they had a dream or as they're falling asleep. Is there a time when creativity or ideas are coming to you more naturally? And if so, can you just capture more of that now? Because that doesn't require any change on your part. That's just writing down the things your brain is offering you. And I think it can be really useful to just have a notebook or something, a Google Doc, where you're just dumping all of those ideas, even if you're not planning on doing anything with them. First, because it's telling your brain, hey, thank you for these creative ideas. I appreciate them and I'm going to keep them. So it's kind of this feedback loop saying to your brain, you know, let's keep doing more of this. And then second, you have this repository of ideas so that anytime you are trying to generate something or find evidence that your brain can give you creative ideas, you've got something to go look at. So I personally have a big document sort of split up into different categories of just a variety of ideas my brain gives me. And some of them are quite silly, but it's fun to have that. So that's something you could do right now, just capturing what you've already been receiving from your brain. The next big technique for developing your sense of safety is to notice and name, to acknowledge when you actually are experiencing safety. And I know I've mentioned this before, it sounds super simple, but it really works. So that could look like intentionally entering or creating a safe space for yourself, I have a chair that feels really supportive and good to me, and I've got a weighted plushie in it and a pillow and a soft blanket, and then it's in a corner facing the door. So it sort of hits all the big points of safety and comfort for me personally. And I will sit in it, get all set up, have all my stuff really comfortable, maybe listening to some music, 
And then this is just a habit for me now when I'm in a safe space, when I've created a safe space to just say to myself, I am safe right now. So again, even if you're just noticing the moments where you are safe and not doing anything different, just noticing and reinforcing that to your body-mind system as often as you can, as often as it happens, will help you feel better and better. I know this sounds like such a silly small thing, but for real, if you can just notice and name when you are experiencing safety, it lets your body relax even a little bit more and say, oh, I am safe. And maybe noticing these are the elements that help me feel safe. So I will do more of those. I will create more of those conditions when I can. Another exercise for getting around maybe some of the brain's trauma responses is instead of trying to figure out how to do something, skip that entirely and just go to the end result and really create the vision. And this is because the how, the trying to figure out all of the steps in a row, besides that it can just be difficult for a neurodivergent brain to jump right into that, that's where that traditional trauma response is just shutting down the ability to even think through that. And we go, well, if I can't figure out the steps, then this must not be possible. So just skip that entirely and ask yourself something like, if I could wave a magic wand in this situation and make the situation be exactly what I wanted, what would it look like? And that could apply to pretty much anything that you want from reorganizing your physical space to what your work might look like. And to use the work example, since I'm talking about money, that could be if I could wave a magic wand, I would be using all of these skills and talents on a regular basis. Here are the specific ones I want to be using. I would be working this many hours a week. I would be making this much money total, which you can just pick numbers for this as an example, or you could actually do some math about what you might actually need, which is a useful thing to do at some point as well. And then really let yourself go into details if you have them, if you want them. Would you be commuting or would you be working from home? Would you be working with anyone in person or would it be a blend? What would it look like around your physical needs, around your accessibility, around what your neurotype requires? And I would suggest writing between about a paragraph and a page to just really flesh out the grandest, most beautiful version of this that you can imagine for whatever it is that you're doing, this practice around. And then here's how we use this to actually create a different brain state from which the ideas can come out. Once you have this vision for yourself, and by the way, if writing by hand is not what you want to do, obviously you can do this in any way that makes sense for you. There have been some studies that writing goals by hand or writing what you want by hand or having it on paper in some form is motivating to the brain, but whatever works for you. So once you have this, you can reread it or even record it on audio and listen to yourself reading it. Because again, hearing your own voice, there's something in that that speaks to our brain in a specific way, if that's something you want to do. And then the idea in this phase is to really get into the feeling in your body of what that would feel like. If you had waved the magic wand, all of this stuff is now. You're actually in this moment. It feels so good. And just so you know, while people will talk about this in quote manifesting, really what this is doing, getting yourself into this feeling, is it's quieting down that trauma response. When you can get your body into a state feeling good, 
and feeling safe, you have more access to more of your brain. You're better at problem solving. You have better ideas, more creative ideas, more divergent ideas. And putting yourself into a beautiful potential future version of your life is one way to do that for your brain. And just in case you tend toward the perfectionist side, as I do, and wonder if you're doing the exercise correctly, I would say basically it doesn't matter if this is actually the final version that you want or end up with. It doesn't really matter. The purpose of this is to just help you feel good. So, okay, you've done that. You've read what you have and you've put yourself emotionally into this future version self. And again, that could be a higher emotion like excitement if that's something that you want and that's motivating for you. Could also be a sense of peace and calmness if that feels good and is motivating for you. Some people find this easier with their eyes closed. A lot of people with trauma don't feel safe with their eyes closed, so you can do this with your eyes open, absolutely. You can also do this while moving around if you need a little bit more activation in your body to get into this feeling. So once you've brought up and generated that feeling, or just sat with the imagination aspect, if the feeling isn't as accessible to you in your body, that's fine too. Just imagining, picturing, creating this vivid idea is also totally fine, which the writing did for you, right? Now from this place, from this future version of yourself, if you were to ask that person, this future version of you who created this life or stepped into this magic wand life, how did you do it? Asking this question of this future imaginary version of you is very different than trying to come up with the how yourself just out of any random day brain state. So again, the idea is you're creating this future version of yourself. You're stepping into it emotionally or in your imagination or energetically, however you want to think of that. And then you now yourself are asking this future version of themselves, how did you do this? If you want to, that last step is actually optional, but it is one way to step around the trauma response and get some great creative ideas out of your brain for a potential next step for something that you want. And especially if you've already done this type of exercise before, the little tiny version of it that I do now for the most part is I bring up the feeling of gratitude in my body for the thing that I want already having happened. I pull up that gratitude in my body and I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So happy that this has happened. So in that case, I'm usually not doing a big writing or anything around the specifics. It's just letting that gratitude come up. And then the question I ask myself from that space is what's the next step? So again, that's from a position of relative safety in my body. And it's just sort of a compressed version of that longer practice that I just gave you. But if you're used to working with this type of energy, this can be a great way to just, again, get that next step. Anything you're doing to get your body into a different state first, especially if that state is happier or calmer, and then ask yourself that question about the next step. Again, just very different and you tend to get higher quality answers. One note on intuition, since technically that's what this is, is relying on intuition is that when you first start using intuition, it tends to feel fake. And there can be this sense of, okay, I got an answer, but I don't know if it's the right one. Here's the thing, that's just a choice. That's just up to you. It's just information. You can take it or leave it. 
And this is why I like having that repository of ideas is sometimes my intuition gives me an idea and I'm like, yes, this is so awesome. And then it just stays on the list and I never end up using it. And that's totally fine. You can also take that idea and look for confirmation around you. So wait until you see something, hear something, read something that lets you know, oh yes, I'm ready to take the next step. That's your reticular activating system at work, looking for the evidence that you want to see in the world. And then confirmation bias helps us hold on to that evidence when we do see it. I'm sure if you have trauma, you are intimately aware of how it affects action. The second big topic of how trauma can block money. Procrastination is a rational response to feeling like shit. It's your body trying to take care of you on a short-term basis to feel better in the immediate future so that you can survive. So first off, no shame about procrastination, okay? And yes, this is something I have to remind myself frequently because I definitely still procrastinate and I need a lot of rest. My system needs a lot of rest. And sometimes I wish that were not the case and that I could just do as much as a fully abled neurotypical person maybe can do, but that's not my body and that's not my life. And that's okay. Trauma can get in the way of action through procrastination. It can also make us feel specifically unsafe in some settings or with some people or with authority figures in general. With complex PTSD, one of the defining features is a problem with authority figures. And one of the things that a healthy long-term therapeutic relationship with a therapist can do is help create that sense of trust with an authority figure, and it can have these ripple out effects. Trauma can also get in the way of action because we're literally spending time taking care of our mental health and our physical health, because long-term trauma can have a lot of physical health effects, especially autoimmune disorders. There are a whole bunch of things that especially prolonged childhood trauma can cause as adults. And if you have any of those health problems, again, you might be spending more time in doctor's visits or with various types of professionals and specialists, and that takes time. It also takes money and resources and planning and executive function. So again, if a lot of your energy is going toward that, which for me, my health was literally a part-time job. I was spending about 20 hours a week on just my health in my early 20s for a period because it was so bad. During that time, I was not working or taking action to do anything besides just keep up and work on my health. And then if you're in a marginalized identity with ongoing trauma, for example, obviously being black in America or being visibly trans or gender nonconforming or being visibly disabled using a mobility device, being fat, any of these identities or confluence of identities that causes you to continue to be traumatized on a regular basis, that can get in the way of taking action because then you're just working on, again, that immediate survival, taking care of your nervous system from new things that keep happening to you or your community. And that continued sense of unsafety makes it very difficult to work on healing from the past, right? When it's still happening in the present. So one broader thought I have about that is if that's your situation, if you are currently experiencing abuse, neglect, if you're relying on a caretaker who is really not the ideal situation, but it's all you have right now, if you're experiencing this ongoing societal traumatization on a regular basis, 
I really hope you can deeply experience compassion for yourself when it feels impossible to take extra action beyond just the absolute bare minimum to survive and take care of yourself and your family. And I'm going to get into this more in receiving, but that's also a perfect time to ask for reparations, for financial support. If you have access to that, for example, in a Facebook group or social media in general, or through a Kickstarter campaign, something like that. I just want to be clear that when I'm talking about trauma getting in the way of making money, the answer is not just the individualistic get a job or start a business. There's also the community aspect of asking the community for help. I've done that at times. I support a lot of people through that direct giving in small amounts. I donate between 5 and 10% of what I make through direct giving, mostly via social media, because I've been very poor and I know how much of a difference it can make with that $20 or $50 that just helps you meet that immediate bill that you need to pay or helps you get food or transportation. So, okay. Past and current trauma can really get in the way and fuck things up for trying to take action to change our circumstances at all. How can we deal with that? My number one practice here is committing to and enjoying the rest that you do have. So even if you are working too hard and you have way too many responsibilities, as a lot of us do, and even if you don't have the support that you need, when you are going to sleep, when you have opportunities to rest, letting yourself fully accept and feel worthy of that rest and really getting the most you can out of it helps so much because you have to rest. Everyone has to rest, but sometimes we are laying there in bed or whatever, maybe on transportation, on the train thinking, oh man, I could be doing something else. I could be reading that article I meant to read or listening to that free workshop I signed up for and didn't end up going to in person. That's just me. I do that all the time. Or I could be cleaning or I could be prepping for tomorrow so that my stuff is together so I don't leave something important at home. All of those thoughts that are coming up as you're trying to rest are a habit. And one thing I love teaching people are ways to just start to interrupt those brain states, those habits. The goal is not to get rid of the thoughts because... We have human brains and they're going to do what they're going to do, but we can interrupt the emotional spiral that can come out of them. One of the simplest ways to do that is to change your body state in some way. So by moving, for example, I will often go from sitting to standing or vice versa. I will jump around or shake or flap my hands or use a fidget toy, something that kind of gets some energy out of my body. Again, I tend to be on the higher energy side. You might want the opposite. You might want to be still, place your hand on your heart and belly and take some deep breaths, breathing deeply through the nose into the belly and then doing exhale twice as long or just longer. A longer exhale is deeply calming to the nervous system because the vagus nerve runs underneath the diaphragm in the belly. So that deep belly breath pushes on the vagus nerve, gives it that little signal for calmness. The nose breath tells your brain, that we are not being chased by a tiger right now because otherwise we'd be breathing through our mouths. And same thing with the long exhale tells your brain we must be safe or I wouldn't be breathing this slowly and calmly. So even just a few breaths like that with the longer exhale through the nose can be calming. 
Some people also like the practice of doing a brain dump before bed so that if you are having those ideas of things you need to do, to-dos or something like that, you are capturing them and then your brain knows, oh, I can go to sleep because we already wrote it down, if you find that helpful. And then the other practice I really like for enjoying and really sinking into the rest that I am having is basically a mindfulness slash acceptance practice. Because like I said, for me, rest is typically not what my system wants and it's not what I tend toward. I tend toward reading, learning, listening to things as a form of rest, which is totally fine. But when I am, for example, meditating or resting or like stretching and laying down and doing passive stretching, which is something that helps my back quite a bit. It's again, just that noticing and naming what's happening in my experience. So if my experience is that literally three seconds after I lay down to do this stretch, that my body wants to get up and go put an audiobook on, I can just notice that. And again, it's not good or bad. I can just say, yeah, I can do that in a little bit. But for now, I'm going to just see out this two minute little rest practice that I was just starting and that I'm already sinking into. And if you don't latch onto them, most feelings and urges last about 30 to 90 seconds. So again, at the end of that two minutes of laying there on my stretching ball thing that I use, miracle balls, yeah, I might want to get up and turn some music on or turn on an audiobook. That's totally fine. But this is just a practice I use to stretch for me that sense of safety in rest. It's just giving myself even just those two minutes of less stimulation, less dopamine, just giving my brain a little bit of a break a little bit more often. And that has really improved my sense of safety while at rest. So mindfully just noticing and naming when you're resting or starting to rest. Okay, this is the experience. This is maybe the sensation that's happening in my body. Just acknowledging what's happening and not trying to change it. That's the interesting part. If you've done breath work, usually there's some period where you're doing a specific breath and then usually mixed in there, there are little bits where the instructor will say, okay, now just breathe normally. So don't try to control your breath at all. And that's exactly what this is. It's noticing, kind of calling up and being able to name what's happening in rest, but not trying to change it. Just letting it be there might help to add, and that's okay. That's one of the phrases I use a lot. I'm feeling this and that's okay. I'm noticing this and that's okay. And I know that when we are used to pushing and resisting and being in action and doing all these things, focusing on rest and rest practices feels counterproductive, but both in terms of long-term healing from trauma and in terms of getting things done on a regular basis, our bodies are cyclical. They are animal creatures and they need these cycles of rest. So very likely you're used to pushing yourself pretty hard in doing things that are difficult for you or coming at you faster than you would like. And again, when it comes to money, that's a really common experience because under capitalism, we usually have to work too much, too hard, including tasks that are really not suited for us. And also if you have ADHD and if you have that thing where basically it's a dopamine deficiency, sometimes rewarding yourself before the task actually makes the task easier. If the reward gives you dopamine, 
Dopamine not only happens when we complete a task, but it also happens when we anticipate doing a task. And if your brain is not giving you that little push of dopamine with the anticipation of a task, which your brain might not if you have ADHD, rewarding yourself or celebrating yourself, which could include rest before you do the task, can make the task easier. And when I have something on my calendar that's really difficult for me, I do this buffer (laughs) half an hour before and half an hour after of basically rewarding myself at the beginning and end. And it really does help. I do know a lot of tips and tricks for getting into action and staying in action. However, at the moment, my sort of philosophical stance on it, based on both my own experience and working with one-on-one clients, because I support neurodivergent people to do whatever the hell they want, is that the action part of it really does come last after that emotional part of it that we're talking about with the trauma response. And that if we just use the tips and tricks to get into action and stay in action, what eventually can happen is burnout. And I am not here to help you do that. I want to help you prevent burnout and continue to heal your nervous system more and more over time to feel better and better. So because I'm specifically talking about trauma and how it blocks money, that's why I'm presenting this portion of this episode really more about rest and mindfulness and acceptance and letting your animal body do what it needs to do. And if you just want productivity tips, there are a bajillion of those out there and you can go find them. And I do sprinkle those in on occasion, but specifically today talking about trauma, this really feeds into one of my primary beliefs as a practitioner, which is that I want to help people feel better first. And when you feel better first, everything else is easier, including taking action. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.